This is a podcast. We talk about running. We talk about other things too. So please come and join us. We hope you enjoy this. This is on the back foot. Hello and welcome to another episode of On The Back Foot um, with me, Alastair Wood. Joining me in the Zoom studio, we have Jamie Rutherford. Hello. Charlie Baker. Hello. And Mr. Barkshaw. Hello. How are we all doing, gents? We all right? Yeah. Did you say Barkshaw? Like a dog? I I think I did say Barkshaw. (laughs) Come on, Bark. Introduce yourself. Like the German composer. The great German composer. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I'm really, really quite pleased. Yeah, I think that's like, given that a very good we... insight to um, Bart's musical taste there, that he said the musical composer and I just went blank. I haven't got a clue what you're on about. Yeah, he's a bit modern for me, actually. <laughs> Let's start Chopin and changing now, Bart. <laughs> very good. Very good, Baker. Very good. Oh, dear. Right. How are we all anyway, Jess? We, we have anyone been out running? It's, I'm looking out the window at the moment and it's, it's absolutely, absolutely chucking it down, isn't it? Has anyone been out today? Or I went out this morning. Um, I, I got a, a quick a quick run and I'm still not actually properly back at work yet. I know, Ali and Bart, you've been fighting a good fight for the last couple of months or not even been off work. Charlie, I think you just started back today. I'm still hanging on with my fingertips to, to lock <laughs> down as long as I can. So I, I managed to get an early morning running, but I think I'm, go- I'm going to be starting back at work properly next week. So, Have you been practising on yourself, Jamie? Because your teeth are looking great at the moment, I have to say. <laughs> No, no, it's just, that's just an occupational hazard of being a dentist, you know. And I, I actually, I think Zoom has the option of um, teeth whitening also on whitening. the actual screen, also whitening on Zoom, so. <laughs> I've been working on my, yeah, my Zoom filters. <laughs> oh, oh, actually, actually on that, this isn't really going to be very good for the listeners, but I was playing around with the, uh, the virtual background on, uh, oh, yeah. on Zoom the other day. So I'll just, I'll just pop that one in there for the rest of the episode. I've got a, for the listeners, I've got a lovely photo of um, Charlie Baker looking like a meerkat. I'll perhaps share it on the Instagram at some point so you, you've got yeah, an idea of what we're looking at. I think I'll do that for the rest of the episode. Cats, just for reference. Sorry? I've just been out for a run. Have you? Oh. A bit, bit smelly. I was going to go out for an easy one, but it turned into a bit of a hard run. And I feel a bit embarrassed. Why am I saying this in public? Sometimes I'm, I'm a worst, my, my own worst enemy. And that there was someone else running ahead of me at like a decent speed. But then it wasn't like so much competitive, but just awkward. So I felt socially awkward because I was going a tiny bit faster than this guy. And I thought if I was to overtake him, it would take five minutes. Yeah. And I really didn't want that. So I then like put the hammer down to overtake. And that then was at like quite a hard pace, but then felt like, what if I ease off? So I think he sped up a little bit because like yeah, to, I'm sure he did. You know, to see where we could hang with me. Uh, <laughs> and I, so I had, then had to like I basically ended up racing just like I don't know where he was but I was just so terrified that I'd have that it would, it would just be, I'd be embarrassed and <laughs> where were you running uh, just up the porter so that's a good that's a good place to race if you've got two people that are trying to overtake I know. You. yeah, yeah. we'll have to have a look on um, on Strava the um, the flybys little thing and see if we can find yeah. out who he is well, maybe he's one of our listeners. Well, it could be. We, we've it got. I think we're in. We're into double figures now, which is um, which is pretty impressive. Um, I was actually looking at the the stats this week, and I, I'm I'm pretty chuffed. We're, I think we're we're doing pretty well. Um, the good thing with the, the Spotify analytics is it kind of gives a a very good overview of who's been listening, kind of gender gap, age range, what music they've been listening to, which is which is quite interesting. Have we um, had four male listeners in the thirty to forty age bracket. <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah I, th- I think it's mostly males but it's, it's pretty even between males and females which is good um and i said we've got different music tastes i think we've got some david bowie in there kings of leon a lot of queen actually queen was like the top so whether that's just good running music or brian may Logic. listens to the podcast i don't know yeah. <laughs> have we had any international listeners have we, we have we have we, we've had we've had two from wales two in switzerland an aussie listener and someone in the US of A as well. So I think we're about to break America. Awesome. Let's let's see. If, uh, do you reckon we can get any more countries? It would be it would be interesting to know who these people were, though. To be fair. So if you are listening on a beach in Barbados, then uh, yeah, let us know. It'd send us a picture. It'd be quite cool. If we could have one listener, on, I wouldn't mind even if there was only 
as well. Let, let's be really ambitious. Even if there was only seven listeners, but we had at least one from each continent, including <laughs> Antarctica. That'd be amazing. Well, so I'll see if we can. I'll tweet Elon Musk and see if we can get get him listening. Get the guys listening up on the space station or something. Do you, yeah. do you reckon they do running in space? I was thinking that. I reckon, yeah. I reckon they might have a treadmill. They did, but did not see it. was the London Marathon, was it last year? And yeah. Tim Peake did a, yeah, a marathon yeah. in space. They've got like a zero G treadmill where you like strap into the treadmill. And he did it when the London oh. Marathon was on. That sounds great, but what time did he get? Oh, he was, I don't know, he must have been like five hours or so. And considering oh. there's no gravity up there, that's useless. Well, you know. I'm is impressed. It, is it but... relative? Because isn't he already travelling at like a thousand miles an hour? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So quickest, quickest man in the world. Yeah. Well, he's not in the world though. That's the point. Well, yeah. What if you put it on Strava as well? What if you can you get a GPS trace from space? Flyby. Flyby. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, that's just zipping across the screen. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see the map. Oh, so, someone would definitely flag it. That either you'll have stolen someone's PR and that you'll flagged it. Yeah. All the PRs in the world gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. How about how about you, Bakes? How's your week of training been? Well, it's been lovely because going back to work has brought some structure into the week. I couldn't believe how excited I was about going back to work yesterday. And I got up in the morning, went, had my little coffee, a smaller one than previously. <laughs> uh, and I got my headphones on. And uh, I, I often have a bit of a musical tour de force on my runs. And it was the Spotify recommends to you based on your music taste or what you've been listening to. Was it Kings of Leon, Queen? Queen. No. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was mostly 80s power ballads, which is the kind of stuff that really gets me cheered up in the morning. So I was up through the parks and I was coming on my way back and for some reason, Fat Les Vindaloo uh, <laughs> was the last song I ran to. And uh, it was just, yeah, it just really made me smile that I was, me, my mum and my dad and my grand were off to Waterloo. <laughs> so yeah, football was on my mind. I felt like Gary Lineker when he comes home in the Walker's Christmas advert. It was, it was lovely. It was was it 2000? Morning. Was it 2000? Was it 98? 98? It was, yeah, it was. It, it will have been 98. Because it was the Brand second Brand. time... Three lines was out. Yeah, was it the official? It was was that was three lions? The, the not the official one. That because three lions. I think that was right. Yeah, Vindaloo was the official, and three lions. Yeah. Was on the, I'm yeah. not sure what Fat Les has gone on to do after recording Vindaloo, but it is a real real up, uplifter for the morning. Yeah. You know? Right. When uh, Ali said that one of our listeners is really into Queen, I did think of you, Charlie, because of your story about. Um, Steve Franklin's Bob Graham. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a good tease because our guest today was actually there as, as this happened. So, uh, yeah, that was quite funny. Um, for those that don't know, I say a friend of ours, Steve Franklin, did the Bob Graham round. It was about this time last year, actually, wasn't it? Yeah, it was sort just, of mid, just, mid yeah. June. He was really and, enjoying the serenity, wasn't he? Yeah, he was on leg five. So, the last leg of, I said, the Bob Graham round, for most people that don't know, is kind of a, a, basically a really big long run in the Lake Districts. And um, we we're on the last leg. So, he's been out there for a while. And we all set off for the last leg to help him together. And Charlie had a little, like, your little boombox, didn't you? Your little Bluetooth speaker. Yeah. And um, what, which was it? Bo Rap, you put on Bohemian Rhapsody? Yeah. And he just, he just gave it the look of. No thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even think we got first through the first riff before Steve had <laughs> cast scorn on your idea. Just cannot imagine, Charlie, that you ever thought Steve would be into listening to music in the in the hills. Right in the first leg, his good friend James was singing um, pirate songs, uh, sea shanty. Okay. As we were going down a hill and it was yeah. absolutely fantastic. But I think that's why he put me on the first leg, just to just to sort of get all that out of the way. <laughs> Whereas like if I was doing a Bob Graham, I'd like lots of silly people coming along and making me laugh at the end of it. That that would power me through. I've got an uh, image of also when you said boombox, uh <laughs> Ali, I've got an image of Charlie with one of those big <laughs> on his shoulder yeah. really going for it so who's our guest who was there on, on that fateful occasion and who have we got to look forward to in this episode if you're a Sheffield runner you might already have heard of this episode's guest he's a local ultra runner called Stuart Walker Stu is a runner with a wealth of running experience to his name 
He's a member of Dark Peak Fellrunners, and in keeping with the club's ethos, not only does he excel in his running performances, he also excels in running misadventures. We spoke earlier about the Bob Graham round, and Stu is one of only a handful of people to have completed a double Bob Graham, and last summer he was also the winner of the prestigious 60-mile Felsman race, as well as being the first person to complete a James Lowe round in the Peak District. Stu is a man that just likes to get out and run, and he's going to be telling us a lot about why he does what he does. Welcome to On The Back Foot, Stu. I know we're going to have a great time talking to you, and I'd like to start by finding out about your most recent possible misadventure. Uh, I've seen a picture circulating on social media of you with a big swollen ankle. It it doesn't look too healthy. What's going on there? What have you done? Yeah, hello. Thank you for having me. Um, So, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I came back from like a a Friday evening run, um, and yeah, kind of, you know, took the shoes off and settled down for the evening. And uh, yeah, within like 10 minutes or so, my foot was enormous. Um, You know, when it kind of swells up and you sort of see kind of the outline of like the veins and stuff gradually disappear over time, and it just becomes more and more balloon-esque. Yeah, until, you know, your toes kind of stick out the front like something emerging from a balloon. Um, So it kind of went like that really quickly, and then kind of stayed like that overnight. And the next day, I kind of uh luckily we have these kind of walking sticks lying around the house which i've never really known where they came from but at some point they were going to come in useful and finally they did so i spent saturday kind of hobbling around on the walking sticks and i was getting i was quite enjoying the walking sticks you know i could like get across a room like really lean and put the sticks in the middle and then kind of bounce across the other half um then i thought yeah i should probably try to you know find out actually what's gone on um hence the picture that you said that you saw on, on twitter or something when i kind of asked if anybody had a, an amateur opinion on what it might be. And the consensus came back that it was cell, cellulitis or cellulitis? I can't remember. Cellulitis. cellulitis. Yeah, it was basically a, I'd either kind of stood on a hornet or some sort of creature had kind of nibbled its way into my foot and through a little hole that I wasn't able to see and it infected me. And, and then there was lots of kind of things, worrying things like, you know, don't put it up in the air, otherwise you'll, you know, you'll cause the infection to run back down your leg. And, your leg come off and all this kind of thing, which I, I you know, abided by for, for a while. And then I kind of thought, I'm sure I was feeling this a little bit last week. I'm sure there's like a little bit of a niggle in that foot. And obviously, you know, hornet bites don't like niggle for a while before they, they happen. They eat that and all that. So and then I kind of thought maybe this isn't actually what it is at all. And then, um, yeah, started to look into a bit of other stuff that it could be. And I don't even know the name of the person that's an expert on bones and um, an entomologist, something like that, probably. Anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm not one of them, as you can tell. But what, some of the bones across the kind of middle of your foot, or behind the metatarsals, they kind of seem to kind of move in and out of your ankle, apparently, as you kind of, as you run and walk and stuff, they should kind of move forwards and backwards. But because one of mine had apparently got stuck at the ankle, so rather than doing that, it was just going up in a kind of curve. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I spoke to um, uh, to Cole Pod, the... Uh, the podiatrist and uh, yeah he said basically um you know don't be too gentle with it <laughs> shove it down a bit every now and then and kind of massage the bit behind it to try and kind of open it up so that the foot the toe thing can go back in a bit so yeah after a week or so of doing that and um taking it a bit easy i did half an hour yesterday and half an hour today and it's you know it's the same size as the other one again so all is well again but yeah we'll see the relief is you don't have like a small a small organism living inside your foot and <laughs> nibbling no, away at it. No, it seems that that's not what actually happened. Yeah, I, I much prefer the kind of mechanical version of the injury than, yeah, than the something kind of this burrowed its way <laughs> into my foot without me knowing or something. But Yeah, kind of r- running version of Alien. It'll just pop out at some point. <laughs> yeah, so it looked like it was going to do the other week. Yeah, it was about to put out. Is the Twitter medical department not highly recommended then? Is that... Well... Clear? I mean, it's highly recommended for, you know, I'm not very good at being told that I'm injured and I should stop running. But when I when people started saying all these things, it definitely worked for that. So, you know, if you want to... <laughs> if you want to scare the shit out of yourself, hard yeah. life. <laughs> yeah, then it's recommended. But maybe for... I mean, to, yeah, to be fair to people, they were going on a, on a one picture that I sent them, which you know, yeah, was, was a bit unfair, but... Um, <laughs> but yeah. This is it. I suppose. I suppose the lucky thing is that we're on lockdown and there's there's not much to be training for and worrying about in terms of your, your kind of training miles, um, yeah. which is obviously something we're all kind of dealing with at the moment. Yeah. Um, and obviously, as, as Jamie mentioned in the introduction, you're the current um, holder of the Felsman title. Yeah. And as far as I'm aware, you were you were looking forward to getting back out there and defending your title, which obviously, sadly, given the current situation, that's 
not gone ahead. I don't know how that's kind of kind of messed with your head at all, or is it have you kind of come to terms with that fairly quickly, or was that kind of a real a real kind of dagger to the heart? Um, yeah, I mean, it is it is probably my probably my favourite race ever. So you know, and 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 to to win it was amazing. You know, I never kind of you know years ago when I started doing this stuff, and you know, Mark Cartel was like a god, of, you know high up on a on a pedestal and then um yeah to actually kind of do the same thing you know to to have the trophy with with his name and you know Al Heaton and all people like that's kind of name on it although actually it hasn't got my name on it yet because I haven't got around to getting it engraved but <laughs> it will at some point also have my name on as well which is pretty cool but um so yeah I was yeah I think I think to be honest I was so delighted to win it the first time that I wasn't necessarily, you know, I wasn't like super competitive about, you know, I must go back and I must win again kind mm. of thing. I was, you know, I was keen to kind of go back and, and do it just because I love the race. And you know, obviously it would have been great to do well again. But I think, um, yeah, it was pretty hard work to do it last year. So I think I was, I, at some point, kind of not long after it last year, I kind of thought, oh, maybe I'll go back next year and, you know, I'll have the number one um, uh, number and that would be really nice. But maybe I'll just like jog around with some people or maybe I'll like see if they want me to like man a checkpoint or something like that. But I think I'd kind of moved on from that. I was actually going to go and race it, but um, I was looking forward to it. But yeah, I kind of, yeah, I think I've kind of coped all right with with them um, not being able to do it. And um, yeah, I think I've generally coped all right with kind of stopping stopping racing. I, I don't actually race that much, so yeah, I was going to do the Felsman, and then um, I was going to do another race. I've done a few times the Three Peaks Yacht Race, and um, was going yeah. to do the Scottish Islands Peak Race this year, which was one I was really looking forward to because I haven't done that yet. So. I'm probably more disappointed that those haven't gone ahead than than the Felsman. Um, there was also virtual Felsman on Facebook, which I was terrible at. I think I think I'm, I'm sure I was last. They were too polite to say it, but I was shocked. Yeah, not I've not got into the virtual racing scene at all. It's really hard. So you've, have you done the three peak yacht race? What what's it called? The Island Peaks yacht race. So yeah, so I've done the three peaks yacht race a few times. So that's yeah. the one where you so so for the three peaks one, you sail from Barmouth in Wales. Uh, sail around to Carnarvon, then you go and do Snowdon, then you sail to Whitehaven, go and do Scarfell, and then you sail to Port William and go and do Ben Nevis. Um, so we've done that one a few times, but I haven't done the Scottish Islands one, which is a similar kind of thing, but rather than those long sea passages, you have lots of kind of short, interesting stuff between islands, and there's a lot more, I can't remember how many, but there's certainly more kind of shorter runs, and they're a lot closer together, so a bit really more kind of runner competition in that. I say I'm massively jealous of you doing the uh, the three peaks yacht race. It's been one on my list for a very very long time. And actually, when I heard you'd done it, I was like, oh, of course Stu's done it, <laughs> and of course he's of course he's won it twice. But it's one of those races for me that kind of it's rare for me to have those races that really kind of spark that interest in my head. Um, I kind of struggle with that a little bit, and that is one that. I just look so wicked and so different. And I've, I've had a few other friends that have, that have done it as well. And they've said it's something completely different to yeah. anything they've done before because it's, you've got the sailing. It sounds really stupid. You know, I know I can run up Snowden. I've done it in yeah. training, but it's, I've got, then got to actually help the guys sail a boat on yeah. some pretty dodgy seas in the Irish Sea between, yeah. you know, between it. So it, it just looks amazing. So if, if anyone, any of our listeners don't know what we're talking about, just give it a Google because it looks wicked. Yeah, no, it's cool. Yeah. So is that how that works then, Stu? You know, you have to help with the sailing as well. You know, you've so have you got a crew of boat boatmen? Yeah, so there's, yeah, um, I think I'd be happy with boatmen. Or... Yeah, yeah. So there's there's two runners and three sailors. Um, I think on pretty much every boat, they have some kind of quite big and some quite small boats. I think you still keep that kind of same number. And generally, there's kind of two ways that people do it. Either you you know you have the team of three sailors who like recruit some runners and you know they don't necessarily worry if they can do any sailing or anything like that and they stick them on the boat and you know they kind of wrap them in cotton wool between the things and then they kind of let them off the boat and they go off and they run up the hills but that tends to not work as well as they think and you know you tend to end up with like very seasick elite fell runners kind of wandering around <laughs> at various parts of the country wondering what the hell's going on so the one that seems to work better is the, the less elite runners but that have maybe done a bit of sailing or that are willing to kind of do a bit. Um, so, you know, we do the less critical sailing tasks, you know, like cooking breakfast and making tea and that kind of thing to, to support the sailors um, in between. And, you know, once we finish the, finish the running leg, you probably go back and maybe sleep for a bit. And then, yeah, you emerge a few hours later and sort of try to help if you could or, yeah, it's, you know, it's quite fun to do a bit of sailing. And to be honest, once you, the, the sea passages on that one are so long that you kind of want to do something other than just kind of sit around and recover. Like some of them with maybe like 20 hours or something. The second one is quite a long time to sit there and drink recovery shakes or whatever you might want to do. Is it quite a competitive race? You know, do you have, do you have a big 
field you know if you've got a mass armada of people all like smashing into the port at Whitehaven and then hordes of runners like throwing themselves down into Waddell <laughs> Valley or you know or can it can it be won quite easily on the first sailing leg alone what how close how right. close is it? Has it been yeah, so it, to be honest, by the fleet isn't that big, and by the time, so the sailors, first of all, are incredibly competitive. Um, so they're, you know, that, like they kind of look at it in a similar way to any other sailing race, and yeah, they all want to win it, and yeah, they all know each other because it tends to be the fleet kind of is fairly similar each year. So you get new people who come and do it and things, but the, the guys that know each other and you know really competitive with each other, so they they're pretty competitive on the sailing. And then um, yeah, by the time you get to, to Carnarvon, it's pretty spread out really, but you tend to get, um, so there's a few places called like tidal gates. So as the tide goes up and down, the water level kind of changes. So you kind of get stopped basically. So you can't get, um, one of them is Whitehaven Harbour. So you can, you can only get into it and out of it at certain times of day. So you can be like smashing on and kind of six hours ahead or something. And then you get to Whitehaven if you oh, tidal gate wrong. Oh, and just watch everybody catch up behind you. So then it, the race really often re, like restarts from, from Whitehaven. Um, or if you, can, if you can do it the other way, you can get through a tidal gate ahead of everybody else, then you're kind mm -hmm. of guaranteed that you're going to win either way. But, um, but yeah, things like that, kind of the, the unforeseen things, the things that the runners don't see coming, that the, the sailors see coming, then makes it quite interesting. Well, yeah, what an exciting way to build upon the running, because I'm sure a Three Peaks Fell race would be hard enough and fun enough as it stands. But then, mm -hmm. yeah, throwing in all the unforeseen... Uh, you know, I'm not a sailor. I've got no uh, water experience, but it sounds yeah, it sounds wicked. With the Scottish Islands race, you have do you go with the same team of sailors or boatmen to use Jamie's terminology. <laughs> That's the technical term. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, um, yeah. So for us, it was the same people because yeah, I mean, as a runner, one of the biggest problems with this um, with this kind of thing is you know knowing some boatmen. So I'm I'm lucky yeah. that that Lorna's family has a contains a boatman. Um, so it's kind of through him that I've got to got to do all these things. So yeah, for that reason, I was I was doing it with the same people, and it was going to be with a different runner this year actually. Yeah, sometimes you have to take quite a lot of time off work, and it's kind of an open ended period and things. So it's sometimes quite hard to find people who are kind of able and willing to to do it. Yeah, so I was doing the, the two races with two different people this year, or, or would have been, but um, but yeah, with the same sailors and on the same boat. God, I'd love to do that. I've just yeah, good, eh? <laughs> yeah. slightly lost for words now. That's why it absolutely sounds absolutely brilliant. There's there's always some there's always teams looking for there's always runners looking for sailors and sailors looking for runners and things. If you yeah, right. if you look yeah. on the website and stuff. Although although judging by my current running ability, I think I'd be better off learning to sail. I think that would increase, <laughs> my, chan increase my chances of getting on that race. <laughs> <laughs> so Stu, you know, I, I guess we're all aware. If, if you from you know from the from the Sheffield scene and mm. um, we do we're starting to get listeners that aren't just from Sheffield so people here that might not know you could you give a quick summary of your running history what's the lowdown on Stuart Walker so yeah so I, oh, well, I was born um, in northeast kind of on edge of the North Moors didn't do that much running I was like in scouts and did a bit of walking about and things like that but didn't really do much running certainly not any competitive running until I got to uni and then met the guys at so kind of through the I was involved in the ski club quite a lot and um, a few people who were also involved in Shuok which is the Sheffield University orienteering club they do like orienteering and running so there's a lot of kind of crossover between them and Dark Peak so met a few people from that club and then Kind of through them, uh, ended up joining Dark Peak and ended up kind of starting to do a few runs and races with them. I remember the first kind of serious thing that I did, it wasn't not a race, but went out with them, um, with Will Spain and Tom Edwards. And they, were, they talked about this thing, like we were out at Juice or something, or like Pop Tarts or something, one of the union nights <laughs> on a Saturday night or something. No, for non-Sheffielders, they're the, the high-class um, oh, yeah. establishments in Sheffield, oh, well, Pop, yeah, Pop Tarts, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He said, uh, yeah, we're going to do this, this running thing tomorrow. We're going to do something called the Edel Skyline. I was like, ah, fine, brilliant, yes. And then, yeah, and that was the hardest. I think it was probably still the hardest day's running that I've ever had. Like, so kind of my How earliest... the Edel Skyline? Is that a fell race? Or? It's, yeah, they do it as a fell race. I think it's, is it 20 miles or is it 20 kilometers? Something like that. It's kind of a long, a long race. Um, so a pretty significant, a pretty significant yeah. distance, but I know of a student to go and do very significant. I still remember it as being significant. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But that, yeah, that was kind of the first, the first thing that I did. And the, yeah, it's kind of got gradually less painful since then, I suppose. You're definitely a distance man, you know, 
Yeah, it no seems to go and do, do long, long, long runs. Yeah. Did that was that something that just spawned again through that you you enjoyed the skyline? You wanted to keep doing longer stuff. What well, kept you going? I think it's probably despite the skyline more than because of the skyline. But um, yeah, I think just realised that you know I quite I quite like the kind of adventure side of things, and uh, like I said, not necessarily that competitive in terms of racing, but kind of enjoy like the the kind of adventure side of it, and you know going on a I'm trying to think of a, a way that I could not say going on a journey because it's, you know, been like misappropriated <laughs> by talent shows and things, but like more literally going on a journey, like, you know, from one side of something to the other or following like I don't know, a river or going over a hill or something like that, rather than kind of a, a short, fast, sprinty thing. And I have absolutely no speed. That's another reason. <laughs> so the sort of the crazier challenges, I mean, Edale Skyline to many non-runners probably is this crazy challenge, but that's kind of like just... You know, just uh, the tip of the iceberg in terms of the crazy things that you've done, Stu. So, did, did that, like, how, how did you start gravitating towards those? Was that something that other Dark Peak members kind of pointed you towards, or did you kind of go and seek it out yourself? What, how did it all? Um, well, I remember, I think I did in, I think it was in 2008, I did the, um, there's a series called the, um, at the time it was sponsored by Vask, it was called like the Ultra Running running championships or something like that um run further series that was what it was that's certainly what it's called now i think it's been always called that yeah um so um karen mcdonald and cyberry who i think some of us probably know and kind of set that up and, and did that with with mark artel as well and kind of ran that as a series which mark conveniently won which sounds like an inside job now <laughs> yeah well Cy um, wasn't gonna win it was he let's be honest yeah <laughs> fair point yeah um yeah um so and i think kind of you know, for for a few years, I kind of looked at that and kind of read about those races and, and was really interested in it as a kind of spectator point of view and, you know, thought it was an amazing thing that people were doing and then kind of got a bit fitter and thought maybe I could start doing some of those races. And then, yeah, I think in 2008, um, I wasn't fast enough to be at the sharp end of any of the races, but they did something called the Grand Slam, which basically if you did all the races. Um, so I kind of did all the races doing that. And then I guess through doing all the races, got a little bit fitter and then, you know, just gradually over the years kind of... Um, kept doing those races and that's how I first um came across races like the Felsman and stuff so I think kind of just through that that series I kind of got into it and yeah I think I kind of always gravitated towards the longer stuff because yeah it's just a bit more of an adventure than than the, the short fell racing stuff I think yeah I can imagine one of the things I really wanted to know because uh, I'm a massive fan of eating and so one of the reasons I like doing longer stuff is because I enjoy uh, I enjoy shoveling snacks into my mouth yeah so uh, what are your, you know, what are your go-to snacks? What do you, uh, what are your top five? Oh, top five. Um, I'm quite, I'm quite into like nuts and things like that at the moment. So I quite yeah. like um, that kind of that, banana chips. I'm a big fan of banana chips. Actually, they would be, oh. be mm. up there. Yeah. Um, the nuts, do you go like sort of wholesome, you know, from the organic aisle in the supermarket, or do you go like dirty, covered in salt? <laughs> I think a bit of both. I think one one makes you kind of crave the other. So I think I think having a both, having a mixture is. I'm a big fan of like the the mixed bag of things that you'd never normally mix together. So like um, jelly babies, Maltesers, uh, salted cashew nuts, everything like all kind of mashed up. There's caribou or something in there as well, and uh, yeah, just like a handful of that as you want it. That, that's pretty good. I quite recently discovered Vimto bars. So I don't know if you remember, like from I remember yeah, from yeah. my youth, like going to like the. Um, yeah, uh, the youth club, and you could buy like these bars, like um, disgusting kind of 10p things. Like, I remember the iron brew ones that were like bright, yeah. luminous orange, and they're basically just a solid lump of sugar with a vague flavouring of whatever the, the brand was. And yeah, you can still get hold of the Vimto ones, and they were, um, I had them, I think I did them on the on the James Lowe that you mentioned before, because they were what they had in the um, at the shop in Tideswell that I went into. Tideswell? Somewhere like that. Yeah, so they, they were a, a delight, actually. I still have a few of them saved up for the next long thing. What else is Do good? Remember Lucas Aid tablets, like Lucas yes. brought out tablets. Yeah. I remember these being a big thing. Yeah. yeah, my parents would give me and my brother them for a walk, and then that would keep us going for the majority of it. I remember when I was at, at school, I was at school out in Bakewell. It was a big rugby school. I played rugby all the way through my my kind of childhood, and one of the lads I still remember him, Johnny Otter. Um, he he was kind of the Lucas Aid tabs dealer. And, uh, and and pre pre game he'd kind of dish out a tab each mm. that we'd all kind of sneak into our sock and uh, and eat whilst we were having our warm up in year nine before we were playing 
Queen Quags from Ashbourne or something, and you know we were kind of thinking we were going to all of a sudden turn into a bit like sort of Space Jam. It was on the TV the other day where there's these little <laughs> the aliens and you take the tab, and all of a sudden I'd become Maru Itoji. But yeah, um, I, I definitely remember Lucas A tabs being a thing. <laughs> yeah. Really hope you don't store your Vimto bars in your socks, Stu. I don't think that's. No, no, I don't store them in my socks. No, no, I was thinking that was a brave place to store them, but yeah. <laughs> what What's your take on on uh, Twixies or Snickers as a as a as a race fuel? Because we've muted that point a few times. You ever you ever go for you know snack size chocolate bars? I think for a race, I would go for a Snickers, but yeah. only because I like to eat the Twix like the where you like bite the caramel off the top and then eat the biscuit. <laughs> And I think if I was running or racing, I wouldn't. It would. Wouldn't it would hinder descending. Start. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to do that, and I would. It would annoy me that I couldn't do that. So I think I'd just be better to take a slinker. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Well, you, you, you briefly mentioned there the, uh, the James Lowe um, mm. that you, you've done recently. And, and obviously, we, we will get on to the Bob and the Double Bob, um, which I guess a lot of people um, will, will know you for. But if I'm honest, I'd say I've lived in the Peter District all my life. And, you know, obviously, the James Lowe is something, if I'm honest, I've not heard of until, until very recently. I don't know if you could just give us a, a sort of a brief, or even just me, a brief kind of run over what the route's like, kind of um, what, what it yeah. entails. I mean, it's called it's called the James Lowe because there's a guy from from Dark Peak called James Lowe, who's also um, he's on the FRA committee and things, and he's he's the guy that set up the fifty fifty at fifty, whatever it is. The oh yeah, FRA races um, around the country like a big series. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, so yeah, James has lots of cool stuff. Um, yeah, and also has kind of come up with this. Um, yeah, with this round, um, which he he's trying to name after me, but I'm definitely going to name it after him because he invented it. Um, and it can't be nervous because I, I don't think I even went the, the right way. Or, yeah, <laughs> other people need to do it. So. And then it won't just be, be called mine. But um, it's, it's very tussocky. It's not quite a kind of peak district Bob Graham because, you know, we don't have the height gain. So there's less climb. There's probably more climbs, um, smaller ones. Uh, there's a lot more tussocks. There's a lot more kind of off path. I guess it's partly due to the popularity of the Bob and, the, you know, unpopularity of the James Lowe. Um, it's a bit further. But yeah, I did it. Uh, when did I do it? I think it must have been last summer, so it must have been after the Felsman, kind of middle of last summer, I guess. Yeah, it was between the Felsman and the Bob, I think. Yeah. Um, roughly, where does it go? Good question. So it starts at the Sportsman in Lodgemore. Yeah. Um, and then the first few go out kind of over sort of the, there's an old dark peak route called the 15 Triggs. So the first few of those, it does so kind of over towards Rodmore and Emlyn. And now I'm really happy to think because I don't want to get it wrong. Um, <laughs> it, the, we've put the route in the Falrunner. There's an article in the Falrunner, but um, where do you turn around? It goes home moss. It definitely goes past. Right. Okay. So you're kind of going like sort of northish to almost like towards Huddersfield way to start with. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, and um, sorry, Jamie's just grabbed his um, yeah, edition of Falrunner. I can see in the background there, yeah. so Jamie might be able to tell us in a minute. <laughs> This, this, oh, this is my memory. This is don't do Vimto bars, kids. This is <laughs> yeah, with your brain cells. Ruin your memory cells. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of it is one of the few full articles that I've fully read in Fell Runner magazine. I've, I've nice. that and the Dartmoor, the Dartmoor round. I've I've read them right the way through. Good, good. No, it's um. Well, yeah, it was. No, it's a good route. I yeah, I liked it. And um, yeah, I think it was just I was I had quite a good year last year, so it was kind of had a, a period when I was relatively fit and James had come up with it and I thought must have had a free weekend and I thought I'd give it a go. I think actually it was meant to be, it was a weekend where I was going to go to the lakes and recce the Bob and then um, I just thought I can't really be bothered to drive a long way and do all that. Is there something I could do nearby? And then, ah! There you go. <laughs> yeah. for, for people that uh, want a quick rundown, seeing as Stu's forgotten it, uh, Leg One starts in Sheffield from the Sportsman Inn and then it runs to Fiddler's Green. That's about 31k. Leg Two, Fiddler's Green to Home Moss. That's 13k. Three, Home Moss to Tin Twistle. 23 kilometres. That's where you that's like the way, isn't it? Yeah. Whistle towards Alport Bridge. That's another 23k. That's where you got the uh, the Vimto bar. Yeah. Tinkwistle Post Office. Tinkwistle Post Office. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I said Alport Bridge to Mamtor. Uh, 30 kilometres. Leg six Mamtor to the Sportsman and finishing at the Sportsman. Another 30 kilometres. So altogether, that's 150 kilometres in total, or about 93 miles. So yeah, a pretty a pretty significant bit of running to be honest. 
That's uh, some amazing bits on it though. Like that that area around Elport. Um, I've always loved like, Elport castles and all mm. that area around there is amazing. I would recommend the whole thing, but you know, if you're only going to do bits of it, that that Elport area, if people haven't read yeah. the big. It's amazing, isn't it? It's so quiet there as well. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't publicise it on the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's rubbish. It's, it's absolutely dead, terrible. It's very beautiful. Scenery's rubbish. Oh, <laughs> So at the end, at the end of your write-up, Stu, in the Fell Runner, there's a line that says, "With regards to the James Low round, solo, winter, double, and triple rounds are also encouraged." Yes. Um, and I'm I'm coming back to the solo, winter, double, and not as much triple, but excessive rounds, stupid mm. rounds. It seems to be something you're fond of. Yeah. You've, you've got a bit of history with the Bob Graham. <laughs> um, I don't think I've done a solo one. I've got, I've nearly done a winter solo one. I don't, I've done a, I've done a normal. Nearly? How do you nearly complete one? What happened there? Uh, I think I got to Honister. No, got nearly Honister. Between, um, what's it called? Uh, between Hon- between Wasdale and Honister. Um, yeah. Green Gable. Somewhere, between Green Gable and Great Gable, there's a kind of pass down there. That yeah. was the escape route. In fact, yeah, I could, there's a good story on that escape route. But the um, basically, I, I, it was kind of going all right as a winter one. It was kind of um, horrible conditions, and it, it was marginal whether it was going to be completed in time or not. It probably wasn't, to be honest. But I thought, you know, I was feeling happy that I was going to get around and everything. But it was like full-on winter conditions, like down jacket on underneath your waterproof and everything. But then, yeah, about there, the um, about at Gable, the torch battery just completely died. <laughs> And that was the, the last torch battery that I, yes, there'd been a miscalculation somewhere along with the torches. I, I'm not going to let on who lent me the torch and assured me that the batteries would be fine. But uh, not that it was their fault. It was definitely my fault. But torch battery died. So it was like, right, no, no further consideration here. We're, we definitely need to escape route right now. Um, Were you yeah, on your own or with, with people? No, this was a solo one. So yeah, I was on my own. So this oh, was an wow. uh, escape route down there. And uh, kind of by the time I got down to, there's kind of a river... A stream at the bottom and then you kind of follow that along and end up at Seathwaite um, and then you can kind of follow the road from Seathwaite and end up vaguely back towards civilization but um, sort of halfway down the escape route that it got so dark that I needed to get a, a, a torch so it, like my phone torch became the torch that I was using the <laughs> um, kind of it was like torrential rain by this point so it's kind of trying to hold the phone torch kind of somewhere where it was going to keep dry but also be able to shine on the path and wasn't working and then yeah by the end by the time I got to see to it the phone torch just completely died phone completely ruined and um yeah eventually kind of just staggered my way along and uh, managed to, to thumb a lift from um, from somebody who was passing I don't know why at like two o'clock in the morning or something um back to Keswick where um how did you how did you explain your situation well this is the which, which thing. is more like... unusual the person driving randomly at 2am or the person running <laughs> randomly in the dark at 2am I kind of thumbed the left and, and the lady said, oh, I don't normally stop. And I said, well, it's very kind of you to stop now. And then I was like ready to explain, you know, I've been doing something called the Bob Graham round. She's like, oh yeah, my uh, my husband did that in the summer. Yeah. Um, yeah. How far did you get? And I said, what? It's just like just everybody in the Lake District. Goes, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely kind of um, enforced that stereotype that I have that everybody in the Lake District goes far running and knows what the PG is. Yeah, love it. Uh, yeah, it was an eventful one. It seems like that was uh, something you wanted to conquer. I suppose most people might have another pop at doing that, but it seemed like you kind of thought, no, that's too hard. I'll just, I'll go for something a bit more achievable. I'll just do two regular laps of the Bob Graham instead. Was that the thought process or? Yeah. So I think, I think that was the first one actually. I think I did have another go at the winter one and it was even less successful. But maybe I'll have another go at the winter one next winter. But yeah, then, uh, well, I don't think you can say it, Jamie. I'm, I'm, as I remember, it was entirely your fault that I, uh, that I had a go at the double. <laughs> I think I like mentioned it to you when we were running or something and then you uh, kept reminding me of it continuously until I actually went and did it. <laughs> you must have wanted must have wanted to do it. I mean, for, for as much as someone can push you to do that, there must have been something within you that made you think, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. Because most, most normal people, I don't, you know, I don't want to go and do one Bob Graham round, let alone two. Why did you, why did you even choose to do that? You can't, you can't put the blame on me yeah it's true I'm, I'm with Jamie and for one of better phrasing I'd have told him to fuck off so <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh yeah I should have 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know really. I kind of, I kind of wanted to see what it was like. Really, you know, you hear about. Um, obviously, there was a there was a film made when Nicky Spink did hers, and there's a kind of lot of people talking about that, and you know, it was an amazing thing. And I kind of I wanted to see what it was like. Really, sort of thought I'd give it a go and you know, see see how far I got. And I think a lot of it, I was kind of quite interested in the psychology of it and how it would work and sort of how you would. I think I was mostly interested in how the first round would feel, knowing that it was one of two. So obviously, you know, as you go around the beach, you know, you do the kind of five legs and you think you, you just got to sort of get through leg one and two, kind of surviving and stay on schedule. If you get through leg three feeling all right, then you, you know, you're looking reasonably good. And then it's kind of downhill and just kind of survive until until the end from there. But then to to do that whole first round in the knowledge that you have to get to the end of that feeling basically perfect and ready to start again. I think that was what kind of appealed to me to see what, to kind of see what that would feel like. And what did it feel like? The, the first one felt surprisingly good, actually. I was kind of ready to get to Wasdale on the first one and think, oh God, this is really hard work and I'm not, but um, yeah, the first one, first one felt fine. Yeah. Um, and kind of all went reasonably to plan and, you know, definitely, yeah, definitely doesn't feel like getting up on a Sunday morning and thinking, oh, I'm going to go for a long run, everything feels great. But yeah, felt felt reasonable and felt, I think at the end of the first one, it kind of felt possible. And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe this is vaguely achievable. Yeah, let's kind of see what happens on round two, which was the best outcome I'd hoped for. Yeah. So you started round two feeling pretty chipper. Mm-hmm. What happened next? I think I stayed pretty chipper through the whole thing. I remember just having a lovely weekend, really. It was, it was um, most of it, or most of what I remember certainly now was um, was great, and it was, you know, it was really cool. But, you know, as as we said, I've done a lot of kind of solo stuff and generally been quite antisocial, so it was quite unusual and quite nice to have loads of people there, kind of wanting to help, and you know, lots of nice people came out and uh, and came and supported and things, and yeah, I think I felt kind of you know, quite lucky to have such nice friends who were kind of keen to come out and. No, it was an amazing sunny weekend and it probably technically it was quite hot for running but you know as like a touristing around the Lake District it made it made it a really nice weekend um yeah it did get a bit harder on uh on the second round so basically cl- climbing was still fine but um uh but yeah my hamstring and stuff on the descents was just really tight and I was just kind of really slow on the descents really so we, we kind of started off we I <laughs> when we're gaining time it's me but when we're losing time it's we yeah. Um, <laughs> quite, quite right. yeah. yeah, we all started losing time for some reason. <laughs> um, uh, sort of after, yeah, I think after Dunmail on the second one. Um, and yeah, I knew that the, the 48 hours, the kind of plan A wasn't, wasn't going to be on from there. But um, I know 48 hours plan B actually. But yeah, the, I knew that that wasn't going to be on from, from that point. But yeah, it was still kind of looked like it was achievable and still having a lovely time. And uh, yeah. And was that kind of the darkest point of the lot, do you think? Um, or was there was there wasn't really any dark moments? As I say you, you kind of talk about it now, and it's kind of almost <laughs> almost whimsical in how you say, "Oh, my, my hamstrings were a bit tight," but yeah. you know, at the time, was it like, "Oh God, this is really beginning to get pretty"? Yeah. So it, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was quite kind of physically painful that bit, those bits when the hamstring was particularly tight and things. And yeah, again, luckily having kind of good people there who knew what they were doing kind of did you know, physically kind of help it ease off a bit and help it made it a bit better. But I think probably the worst points were probably, um, I've done a bit of adventure racing and stuff like that before. So I should really know about how to kind of plan like a sleep strategy for a long thing or something like that. But I just completely failed to plan any sort of sleep strategy and just didn't sleep enough at all, which meant that getting into the second day or the second round, um, there were a couple of points when there was one um, kind of remember having, having now been reminded of it that, um, with Dave Taylor and uh, and Tom Savile, we were on, I think it was somewhere near Red Pike or somewhere like that. And I just, for a moment, I, I remember saying to Dave, Dave, I'm going to have to stop for a sleep because I don't know who you are or why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I don't know whether I'd kind of made that sound more of a thing so that he would kind of let me have a sleep because I felt he was been a bit of a taskmaster and he might not have let me have a sleep. So yeah. <laughs> but I needed a good story to kind of justify why I'm having sleep um, now. I, I can imagine with, with Dave's stature as well, seeing him in a kind of slightly hallucinogenic state, it must yeah. be, if, if you don't know Dave, he must be, I don't know, five, five foot nothing and six stone wet through. So I'd imagine yeah. seeing him on the side of a hill when you're feeling a bit funny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and he had those orange glasses he wears on as well. So it was yeah. all a little bit kind yeah. of... So, little... Sorry, Dave, if you're listening to this. Yeah. I, I apologise. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, but no, he let, he let me have 10 minutes and then I felt a whole lot better after that. But yeah, I think that... I think the lowest points actually were those kind of really sleep deprived moments when it suddenly would hit you and you'd yeah, just have no idea really what, what was kind of happening. I remember there was a lot of moments when 
I thought I was supporting someone else's BG. Like, yeah. I think I thought I was still supporting Steve's because that was the last time I'd been in the lakes before it. And I was like, where's, where's Steve? Where's he? <laughs> that, that wasn't helped by the fact that then on a few legs, Steve was there. So it's like, oh, there he is. It's fine, right. Just, okay, Steve, well then, yeah. Well, I think that was the worst bit rather than the physical stuff was kind of all the confusion and the sleep deprivation. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. Do you ever suffer, you know, any of the ill effects of sleep deprivation? You know, you mentioned some of your adventure racing. Like, do you ever go down some like weird rabbit holes with like hallucinations and stuff like that? Or you know, start running with elves or leprechauns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I think the best one that I've had was, wasn't, you know, it wasn't even in any of the adventure racing and stuff. It was in, um, coming down that path from back tour, um, back down towards the Strines on some sort of other, I don't know, it was like a birthday and I was trying to do that number of hills or something at the end of something like that. And um, it was kind of bracken season. So all the bracken was kind of overgrown over the sides of the path. But I remember running down and like, rather than bracken, I just saw all these green bunnies like diving into the middle of the path from the sides. <laughs> Every kind of frond of Bracken was like a diving bunny, like jumping in front of me. I remember trying to kind of hop over these bunnies so that I didn't jump on them. But luckily that one was ending at the strines. So that was the had, you, um, had you had a Vimto bar at the top of the climb by any chance? I've had several. <laughs> too many Vimtos. <laughs> yeah, one of, the, um, one of the recurring themes of our podcast is stuff that goes wrong or stuff that doesn't go quite to plan um and uh yeah you've talked about some of your like amazing achievements and maybe like your couple of winter bob grahams where it hasn't all gone to plan but have you got any good have you got any good times when it's all gone totally you know it's all gone totally wrong i think like yeah every race that i did up until a couple of years ago (laughs) as i said i kind of went through that phase of kind of initially kind of just looking at those races from the outside and then starting to do them and then kind of getting a bit fitter and a bit fitter so but i think my mind was ahead of my body so i was like i might be near the front now let's give this a go so then i would like run the first half of the race quite near the front and be like chatting along to you know like jez bragg or somebody thinking yeah this is going really well you know my might be the one that I finally win and then would all go horribly wrong and I'd, I don't know, eat something wrong and like end up behind a hedge 10 times for the rest of the race or something like that and like finish solidly in the middle of the pack, like having, having had a terrible last 10 hours or something like that. So yeah, I think most, most races basically that in, in that period when, yeah, I just completely had no idea how to pace it and uh, a bit over ambitious, I guess. And the, um, the adventure racing, like, like we've already mentioned with kind of the three peaks yacht race and things, mm-hmm. the kind of adventure racing side of things must, must throw up some quite sizable hurdles uh, with regards to that. Because obviously with long distance running, it's, there's a lot to go wrong. But at the end of the day, it's just, just running, in inverted commas, a long way. Yeah. Um, but with the adventure racing, I, I presume there's been a few um, skills you've perhaps had to learn on the job, as it were. And I'm, I presume there must have been a few hiccups on, on a few of those adventure races. Yeah, there's definitely been a few kind of things that mostly around the the kind of pinch point where it goes wrong basically is when you so like in a triathlon thing you'd call it the transition. So when you kind of change from one sport to the other. So in most of the adventure races I was doing there'd be um so kind of running or trekking, kayaking, mountain biking and something else that they'd throw in. So like if it was a race in they went through a phase where like every race in Europe you had to do like inline skating or something like that. <laughs> so like, they'd be like these like weird kind of it was almost like a novelty sport that they'd kind of throw in. But sometimes it was really cool. Like we did one in France where then it was just a huge like um rappel thing. So you had to like have all the climbing gear and stuff like that. But um it was mostly just like getting into that transition, like when you're already quite sleep deprived and you're knackered and all you want to do is kind of eat some food and trying to remember to kind of put down the right kit and pick up the right kit. So yeah, like the number of times that you'd set off on like a, I don't know, what was going to be like a 30 or 40 hour trekking leg or something. And then you'd get a hundred meters down the road and realize you still had a bike helmet on or something like that. <laughs> still wearing roller skates. You're still, yeah. you're still yeah. sat, yeah. sat in a kayak wondering why you're not going anywhere. <laughs> you've not got a paddle. Yeah, well, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was mostly planning. And there was one in, yeah, ending up stuck in following the wrong the wrong stream, and then some sort of tidal thing happening, and then having to lift kayaks over these mangroves for a few hours in order to get to what we thought was the right stream. Which then, when the tide rose again, turned out to be the wrong stream, and oh. actually taking ourselves from the right place to the wrong place. That actually um, actually reminds me, Stu. I don't know if if you remember this. I almost hope you don't. I don't know why I'm bringing it up. But when we were helping 
Well, you were helping Steve Franklin on his Bob Graham last year. Mm. I was I was there, but I don't know how much help I was. Um, I remember chatting to you into the car park and we were chatting away. And um, uh, we were chatting about, I think, talks and things we'd listened to. And I was like, oh, I heard this. There was this bloke that did this really good talk about four or five <laughs> years ago. And it was at the, the Dig Deep Running Festival, which is um, obviously the guys at Accelerate have taken over now. And um, it's been going on for a while. So this guy did this really good talk and it's, one of the best talks I've ever heard because you, you always hear these talks of I did this and I won that and this is how you do it and there was this bloke and he'd done so many amazing things but I just don't think he'd done one thing right he, he just did everything wrong it was it was awful it was hilarious at which point Stu turns to me and goes yeah I, I think that was me <laughs> I just remember going oh god I'm so sorry like, oh it's a really good talk though really really, really good Stu I loved it yeah, no, I remember that conversation. I took it as a compliment. That you... I'm glad it was. It was very much uh, meant as a compliment to you. I, I did feel a bit foolish afterwards. It, I'd, I'd not realised it was you. <laughs> no, no, I remember giving that talk. Actually, it was good. Yeah, no, it was very, very good. You, you do try and put some effort into doing things right. I, I think that's fair to say, Stuart. Yes, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's, sorry, not sorry. Like <laughs> it's not like you. I, you know, I know that you're very good at downplaying your ability and your successes. But you do take it seriously. I know you put a lot of effort into your training. I know, I think it's probably fair to say that you run for the love of running primarily, but you do put a lot of effort into your running. You're coached as well, is that right? Have you got a coach or do you just kind of, are you making it up? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I know it seems like you're making a lot of it up as you go, <laughs> but I suspect there might be some method to your madness. I, so I do have a coach. I think, you know, it's over the years, it's got more and more of a sort of hands-off uh, coaching as, uh, as Stu has realised that, Basically, I don't really listen. I, I listen more than less he does. Is your coach called Stuart? Are you talking about yourself in the in the third? <laughs> yeah, um, it's like my yeah my split personality. I, I coach myself. No, no, Stu Hales. Um, but yeah, so he's he initially started you know doing like programs and giving me all these kind of detailed stuff. And I think partly that I kind of learned enough from that to go away and kind of do my own. And partly that he realised that the more he tells me what to do, the more I you know like a angry child kind of stop doing it and kind of ignore him so I think we've now come to this kind of agreement that you know we know that I'll do a, yeah, a couple of runs a day most days I'll do a, I'll do a hills or speed on Tuesday or Thursday and do a couple of long runs over the weekend and he doesn't need to write that down for me every week anymore we just kind of have that agreement that that's what I'm going to do it seems like quite an organic training yeah, process but yeah you no know, um you do what makes you happy primarily yeah. And then I guess, you know, if you need to do some training, you can, you can do that, but that's maybe not the primary. Yeah. I, I, I do what makes me happy except Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then I do hurty stuff. <laughs> Tell us a bit about runners against rubbish. That's what it's called. Yeah. Good one. Um, yeah. So uh, this is a little charity that I started a while ago now, basically to try to kind of, to kind of reduce litter generally, uh, really, yeah. but um, primarily to kind of, try to tackle um, litter that's to do with running. So I guess gel packets and gel wrappers and stuff are a particular kind of thing that we're trying to stop. But I mean, to be honest, the majority of litter isn't isn't caused by runners. So it's, you know, I, I, when I went for my run earlier, I came back with a, like a right guard deodorant can, which someone had like left randomly in the middle of, like on the path. I had no idea why that would even be there. But yeah, just to, the, the idea of the charity was basically just to get runners when they're doing an easy run or they're running close to home or something, just to, if you see like a little bit of litter on the trail, just, just kind of grab it and put it in your pocket or whatever and take it home and just kind of to, to do our bit to kind of keep things, um, keep things tidy and, uh, yeah, you know, from an environmental point of view and a wildlife point of view and all that kind of thing. But it also kind of has like a, a race organizing and, and that kind of element to it. So, you know, there's a lot of kind of, pressure particularly in very busy national parks like the peak at the moment there's a lot of kind of um competing um things on pressures on on the landscape and stuff and yeah i think if runners are seen to kind of be acting positively and you know looking after us after tidying up after ourselves but also kind of going a bit beyond that and you know having a, a contribution to the landscape more generally then you know as a landowner you're more likely to to respond favorably if somebody asks if they can go across your land or something like that so it's um it's partly a kind of self-interest thing to you know keep keep races open and, and keep rights of way open and things like that but um yeah i think it just comes from my, i don't see any reason why there should be any litter at all so yeah it kind of annoys me so i stopped picking it up and then i was a bit bored and didn't have a job for a while so i thought i'd start a charity see if anybody else wanted to do the same thing i think it's something really important and, and especially something 
like you say, we were all very lucky to live right on the edge of the Peak District, and it's, it's something that we all use um, an awful lot. I know, Bart, you do a lot of climbing. I do an awful lot of cycling, um, and we use it an awful lot. And it's, it's yeah, we, we, we need to kind of um, leave no footprint, as it were, another one of those horrible cliches, but essentially that's what it needs to be. And like you say, it, it's, you know, I, I personally would never even dream of throwing a gel wrapper or anything. And, and a lot of the, the, um, the rubbish you see out there isn't necessarily from runners and cyclists, but there are gel wrappers out there. There are, I was upon Sanage Edge or below Sanage Edge um, mm. the other day, and there was a load of finger tape wrappers and things um, from climbers and things and it's yeah. it's a real frustration I, I know it's probably something that might have fallen out of the pocket of a bag I'm sure I'm not you know casting dispersions on anyone but you know yeah. we all see across the nation we all see um, especially at the moment now lockdown is being slightly lifted images mm. of you know crates of Stella empty Stella cans left on beaches mm. and on, on on paths and things and I think that that's kind of almost the tip of the iceberg but I think if we can all change that mindset just a slight bit um, yeah. and it not like you say not just be a case of I won't drop any litter mm. where it actually becomes a if I see any litter yeah I will stop to pick it up even if it's not mine I think it's it's just a, a very slight mind change if yeah. we can all make that little effort then you know it, it should make it better for everybody you know Oh, yeah. um, that's something we can all do but is there is there you know go out and pick up litter when we're on our runs or out using using the countryside are there any other ways people can get involved or help out with the charity yes i mean the one of the best things that the charity does really is if like if lots of people are kind of out there doing it then you know we can never communicate directly with the people who drop the litter that's kind of the, the problem with all this kind of campaigning stuff is that you know so we've got twitter and all that kind of thing but if you're a person who drops litter you're not going to follow a litter charity on twitter yeah. so we've no way of directly communicating. <laughs> but the way to do that is to just get more and more people out there picking up a little bit and then that person who would, you know, might have considered dropping litter or might not have kind of thought about the impact that it would have, see somebody picking it up and then suddenly, you know, it kind of subconsciously makes them a little bit more aware of it, um, which is basically what we what we tried to do is just to kind of spread awareness. So as I said, we have uh, Twitter, um, we have a Facebook page, which I'm terrible at updating. But yeah, we, we kind of, so we kind of run a, a membership thing, basically. So people pay two quid, you can go on the website and, and sign up and people pay two quid and you get a... Uh, I post that to you a little pin badge uh, and a car sticker. Uh, and the idea basically is, again, the same thing. It's, so it's like spreading awareness. So, you know, if you say you're in the car park yeah, below standage or a race car park or something like that, you've got that car sticker in your in your window. People hopefully will see that. And yeah, whether or not it directly causes them to go from somebody who wouldn't drop it to somebody who would pick it up, it might just, the next time that they were going to not worry about something or not pick something up, it might just move them up a notch so yeah. they would either pick it up or, you know, or not drop it. Um, yeah, that's basically what we do. So on that, I, I challenge anyone listening to this podcast on your next run, if you see litter, I don't expect you to go out running in the woods to find litter, but if you see some litter, big or small, on your next run, I challenge you to pick it up, put it in the bin, take a picture, tag us online on social media, um, and runs against rubbish as well, and um, sort of see if we can do our bit and um, get a bit of a snowball going and see if we can help out. So I think that's a, a good challenge for everyone to try and go for. Well, one next week, but, but going forward as well. Could we go? Could we go one further? Because I know that within within the podcast members, we have access to sports companies and people that might be able to provide prizes. So could we could we take it one further and let's say within the next two weeks, if you can get a picture of you know. No prizes for picking up the biggest piece of litter. You're not going to win a pair of socks if you if you pick up a fridge. But if you can get a picture, if you can get a picture of you getting getting some rubbish, getting it in the bin, tag us in it in the next two weeks, and we will we will get a prize out to. Yeah, one of I will. We will organise some prizes. What it will be, it might be some Injinji toe socks. We could do some soft flasks or something similar. But I will have a rummage around the store cupboard. Um, Cy Berry, who mentioned earlier on in here, is, is actually my boss. So Cy, if you're listening to this, um, sorry, but some stock may go missing from the warehouse. Um, it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very kindly supported us before, actually. It, it's, it's Stu's fault, so blame Stu. Entirely my fault, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> Lovely stuff. Well, I think, I think we'll let you, um, you get on, Stu. I think we've, we've taken enough of your time, but thank you so right. much for, uh, for coming on and and having a chat with us, we uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. And, you know, I, I, I said we could talk for hours, I think. Um, but no, thank you so much for giving us some of your time. It was really appreciated. Oh, awesome. Keep up the good work. I've enjoyed it so far. Good luck with anything that you've got coming up. Hopefully another exciting adventure that we can hear about soon. Something, yes. I'm going to stop talking to you about plans though, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs>
Amazing. What an absolute legend of a bloke. He's got some yeah. pretty amazing stories. I think, realistically, I think we were just scratching the, scratching the surface with some of the, uh, the tales of, of Stu Walker. But, yeah, that was brilliant, wasn't it? I think, yeah, I think that's the thing with Stu. He's, he's done so much. And, he, yeah, he really downplays what he does. And he'll have done so many epic runs that he wouldn't necessarily even count as epic runs. Just like he mentioned very briefly about running some a, a specific number of hills for his birthday. But he, he does that, you know, every year. Like he was, I think he was 35 this year. And he's like, oh, I'm going to go and run 35 miles. And we'll just go for a huge run out in the peaks, picking up trods, going over tussocks, eating Vimto bars. Like it's, you know, like it's normal. I think standard standard for Dark Peak is what they say for all this crazy stuff. Yeah. And it's, but it's not. It's standard for Stu Walker. He's just really good at just getting on and, and running. Yeah, he's really he's a really good runner. <laughs> well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's, it's one thing to be that adventure and be that person that is, you know, is loves just getting out there and doing it. But it, it's almost like the, dare I say, the stars have aligned and he happens to be a, a, a bloody good runner at the same time. He says he's not fast, but... If anyone wants to go through and look at his um, results from the Felsman and, and various other races he's done, he's uh, yeah, he's not slow, put it that way. <laughs> Charlie, perhaps if you'd been there singing Bohemian Rhapsody, he would have got that 40-hour double bob, you know? Yeah, he might need to think about the musical game, really. <laughs> they are giving him tips. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. It'd be interesting. I, yeah, it'd be interesting. I always think um, to sort of hear from people whether they um, kind of listen to music when they run, talking about listening to bow rap and uh, when when Steve was running. And I say I, I can't imagine Stuart getting the vibe from it. I don't think he perhaps listens to music, but he's he's out in the wilderness. And it's it's for me certainly something I don't really do. But I know a lot of runners do sort of listen to music. So I, yeah, I think there's been umpteen studies out there in sort of scientific papers about the, the benefits of running with music and stuff. And I know, Charlie, you, you always do, don't you? Uh, yeah, probably don't do as much as I used to always. I've started experimenting with no music, which is actually quite, quite nice and quite reassuring that I don't just need to be driven by, you know, a barrage of feel-good music to get myself for a run, because it's kind of like, well, hang on a minute, I do actually like running. I don't, surely I don't need to pepper it with loads of, like, you know, encouragement through the earphones. Uh, but yeah, I, but but there are times where I think that it really adds to like, it's sort of like the randomness as well. I quite like, you know, you can suddenly be with a like stunning landscape in front of you and you're listening to something really, I don't know, the, 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 the last ketchup song or whatever. It is, you know, like, <laughs> But why am I here? Like life's just so random, and yeah, I've just topped it off because I'm listening to Lionel Richie on a mountain top. You know, it's just like I like it's all, you'd, you'd almost be dancing on the ceiling up there, wouldn't you? Yeah, <laughs> it's just uh, no, it's funny, and and I think yeah, you're, you're basically you know, I love I love soundtracks in films, so you're soundtracking your own run, and I think that there is. There is a there is a purist side that I think some people really look down on people running with headphones. But yeah, I, think, I think that's definitely an issue for some people, isn't it? Yeah, you give both a go because definitely it's lovely to listen to the birds and all that. Um, other times, yeah, just just go for it. Just crack on some music and can you it. can you recommend any tracks for me, Charlie? Because I say I, I'm a big music fan um, oh, and I listen to music when I'm when I'm working at home at the moment. Working in inverted commas. Um, well, and when, I, when I'm on the bike in the shed, I always listen to music, but I just can't seem to get on with it running-wise. Have you got any kind of top two bangers that you kind of really think that no matter weird, your musical taste would be a... A weird one that's always worked is Phil Collins' You Can't Hurry Love. I don't know, that's got a bit of a... That's got okay, a bit yeah, it's quite high tempo. Quite a chirpy one. Uh, it, it's normally crap. I mean, I've, I've got Whitney Houston on every now and then. Uh, that's, I'm pretty happy with that. And I'm talking, I'm talking the bodyguard theme tune. Or cut, <laughs> uh, take me to the clouds above. Uh, how will I, that's how well I know in it. And then, of course, you know you, you can't beat her, uh, her dance floor classic, can you? So, well, how's about this? How's about we've 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 got your your initial opinion, Charlie. How about we ask our listeners to submit? They can they can post on Instagram. They can post on Twitter. 
Um, how about we ask our listeners to submit one of their favourite songs to run to, and then next next episode or the next couple of episodes when we've got an opportunity, we're gonna we're gonna get you to appraise people's choices for listenings and <laughs> if we could get if we could get half an hour's worth of tracks, then I'll take a little half an hour spin with that playlist. And if the playlist reaches four hours, maybe this is the ultra challenge that I've been needing all my life. So, so you're agreeing to the to you will run however long this playlist is. Um, so, I really please everybody. Longest pick Bohemian Rhapsody. That's got to be what six or seven minutes long. So, let's pick some really long ones and just yeah, kill Charlie out on the hills. See what happens. Yeah, you can appraise them kind of top, top of the pop styley and uh, yeah, see, see what people are running to. All right. Well, we've got. I think we've. I think we've left people with plenty of food for thought with this episode really really love listening to Stu speak I think with his runners against rubbish I think if people want to get involved with that either just on their own doing their own little bit and knowing they've made a difference or again if you want to get a picture take a picture submit it and we're going to have two weeks from the day the podcast is launched for you to submit your pictures and then we will be choosing the prize winners submit your tracks for charlie to appraise and then we've got lots more to look forward to coming up as well do we know the um the runners against rubbish twitter handle i'm just going on there now so the runners against rubbish is runners v rubbish um is their twitter handle so um and i think it's similar on instagram i'm not sure if they're on instagram but i'll, I'll double check um but like jamie says yeah two weeks out from when this was released if you if you tag both of us in there i'll um, i'll see if we can get some goodies out to to some spot prize winners. Well, I hope you've all enjoyed listening to episode three of On The Back Foot. Um, I know we've all really had a great time. So whoever you are, wherever you are, have a great week and we look forward to being in touch with you very soon. Goodbye. Thanks.